Hello there. This is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. May the force be with you. It is the Star Wars special on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. Hello, welcome to The Cinema Crew, the podcast that talks new movies every week. My name is Michael Campbell, but you can call me Cambo. And joining me as always is Vary McIntyre. Hi. And Dan Miranda. Hello. Now, The Rise of Skywalker is about to come out. It feels like it's been forever, but it's almost here. However... It is a very secretive film and it has not screened yet. So in its place, we have a Star Wars special. Hey, and maybe it's the day before The Rise of Skywalker and you're thinking, I haven't seen any Star Wars films. Well, fear not. We're going to do a little bit of a recap for you so you can go into Rise of Skywalker and you can know what's going on. Well, like me, who've seen them all. I just don't really <laughs> know what's going on. <laughs> so much destiny. Now, your chance to win a gold-class double pass coming up just a little later on, but first. Somewhere in space. This may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. Released in 1977 with next to no studio support, Star Wars, now subtitled A New Hope, took the world by storm. It was the little film that changed the landscape of the Hollywood blockbuster. But how is the film? The film is in and of itself a masterpiece and mm. a masterclass in not only budget, you know, Hollywood blockbuster films, but also because George Lucas had come from such a, you know, uh, independent, an independent uh, mind frame. This was like that bridge between and it is, in my opinion, probably almost, almost a perfect film. While I'm not the biggest fan of Star Wars, I can appreciate these films as being the, the founder of the sci-fi genre. Just in case someone is stranded in the deserts of Tatooine and they haven't seen this movie somehow, what is the plot of Star Wars? So with this film, so this is episode four. Um, no, and- I'm confused already. Oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to the numbering of the films in just a moment. But yes, it starts at episode four. Episode four. Originally just dubbed Star Wars and later on dubbed A New Hope. Uh, this is about the planet-destroying power of the Death Star, the Empire, which, of course, they've Darth Vader is a part of, looks to cement its grip on the galaxy. Meanwhile, a farm boy known as Luke Skywalker raises to find his destiny. Yeah, it's it's one of those classic movies and you're so right in the sense that it's a Hollywood blockbuster. It's kind of, Star Wars is like the Hollywood blockbuster now, Mm. but made by an independent filmmaker and uh, made independently, it is both an indie film and the biggest blockbuster of all time. Somehow they did both. While I'm not the hugest Star Wars fan, I still get confused by the order of things. I have seen them all though. (laughs) And I still appreciate the the legacy that the Star Wars have left. That the Star Wars. Oh my god! Well, originally titled the Star Wars. So okay. Yeah. Feel like a parent. Are, they- <laughs> <laughs> are you going to see a Star Wars? Are you? <laughs> it was instrumental in paving the way for the sci-fi genre and a lot of the codes and conventions we find in movies today. So while it may seem cheesy and predictable now, when they came out, it, it was groundbreaking. Well, and and not not to go opposed to what you just said, but because you're right, that a lot of the things you now see is like Star Wars style, but 
and even to explain the naming and the, the titling and the numbering conventions, because they are kind of unconventional. In this period of the 70s and the late 70s, it was like this Hollywood new age. Um, you had people like uh, Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola, a very bleak kind of movie making, movies like The Deer Hunter and stuff. And George Lucas used to always watch the old sci-fi serials on TV, things like Flash Gordon or books like uh, The Prince of Mars, the John Carter books. Mm. And that is what he wanted to create. He actually tried to create Flash Gordon and he couldn't get the rights. So he said, I'm going to do my own. So Flash Gordon used to have a big scroll of text at the start to catch you up on what's been happening in the episodes. And he wanted it to feel like you've been dropped in the middle of this TV series called Star Wars. Hence it says, oh, yeah, the Galactic War, you know, which is stuff that you're yeah. like, wait a minute, what Galactic mm. War? Yep. But it's supposed to feel like an old 1950s mm. sci-fi serial. It's got princesses. It's got farm boy heroes. It's got charming rogues. So it's taken really old conventions, given them this like 70s spin, and then just revolutionized like special effects industry at the same time. Yeah, well, it's one of the first rules of writing is to come in late and leave early. Yes. So you don't build up this huge story and bore the audience before they get to it. Yeah, you're just dropped into the middle of it and there's all these um, characters and plots that have already established in the world and you come in and sort of have to catch up. And a lot of preparation for the film was based on a lot of religion throughout the world and I really appreciate that, you know, he looked at mythology and so many different ways in which they're all connected. Uh, There was a specific person who I can't remember the name of that he – that he based a lot of the the George, Joseph Campbell. Thank you. Yes. yes. The based, Hero's Journey, which is the, like hero's the famous journey. Jo- yes. Joseph Campbell story structure. And I think that by doing that, it really does help create a sort of, you know, a, a target for what this world is about. Yeah, and there's, there's I think, things that are quintessential to Star Wars that need to be touched on. One is the John Williams uh, music, which you might hear a little bit of here. Next is Ralph McQuarrie designed a lot of the Star Wars world and what was kind of had never been done before in a sci-fi film is they didn't make things look new and shiny. They made things look old and lived in and grimy. And before that, in fact, there's a movie came out called Logan's Run the year before Star Wars and it looks like it came out 20 years before Star Mm. Wars because it is that 70s sci-fi, everything's grey and white and flat and that's the future. But Star Wars made it feel like a real actual world and every sci-fi movie from now on has done the exact same thing Mm. because it's so effective. So we need to go through what actually happens in A New Hope. So obviously we start off with the Empire raining down on everyone with an iron fist and a young farm boy, Luke Skywalker. He goes off to join the, the Rebel Alliance. But of course, he's not alone. He is joined by his sage, his wise old friend, Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Alec Guinness, who, fun fact, hated Star Wars. And uh, Harrison Ford is Han Solo and Chewbacca, and they go and they they rescue the princess, and they defeat the almighty Death Star in a glorious space battle. And they in the end, they all get medals except for Chewie, which is very sad. Oh. Uh, but that is Star Wars A New Hope. Let's jump now to 1980. With the enormous pressure to follow up Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back did the almost impossible and pulled it off. Now, almost 40 years later, does it still fare? 
oh, this is without a doubt the best Star Wars film ever made. It is. It really is. (laughs) And I'm not just saying that because Yoda's in it, personal fave, who is a little green alien, but we'll get on to that. Just just quickly, quick tangent. This is the best Yoda as well because... This isn't wise Yoda. This is prank Yoda. Yes. He's hitting people with his cane. He's tricking people. I love it. It's so muppety. <laughs> so in this one, the Death Star was destroyed in, in the last movie and the battle between the Empire and the Rebel Alliance is still going on and Darth Vader continues to search for Luke Skywalker. Yeah, and this this movie is kind of well known for essentially not repeating the first one, which is a big trope mm. of sequels. And in fact, going to completely new worlds, setting up completely new things. Yoda is such a quintessential Star Wars figure, but is not in the original Star Wars film. He only came. Yeah, I forget that Empire sometimes. Yeah. Like, yeah. And there's a, there's like the AT-AT walkers and mm-hmm. things like that. All kind of iconography of Star Wars. None of it in the original one. Yeah. All comes from the Empire Strikes Back. Interestingly, um, this was actually completely self-funded by George Lucas himself. He didn't yes. want to be a part of the big, you know, Hollywood machine, so he went and got a personal bank loan. Yeah. And can I say, mm. like, people have their gripes with George Lucas as a filmmaker. By the way, I didn't direct this. Uh, no. Ivan Kirshner, I did. Uh, but he is a genius businessman because he saw the value in his own property when no one else did, and even when he was selling the original Star Wars, kept all of the rights to it, all of the merchandising rights, everything. He got everything. So, yeah, this is completely made like the original as an independent movie. Had he intended to make sequels to the first one? Because the first one is a very (laughs) neat little story. It's finished and then it keeps going. This is a point of contention. Yes. He claims to have it all planned out, including the prequels and including what his plans were for the sequels from the very beginning. But maybe we'll get into it in a few minutes. But... I don't believe him. (laughs) Controversial. I mean, I guess you can do that with any movie. Lots of movies these days are always open at the end so they can have sequels and even if it never eventuates. And so I guess if you just wrap it up and then have the idea for more, it works both ways. And well, and this is the dark middle chapter because it was, he did always say it was going to be a trilogy and the midpoint of the story is always the lowest point. And this is the darkest, the kind of the grittiest. The, mm, uh, this is the two towers. It is the two towers, yes. It, the so much that it ends on the famous cliffhanger yeah. uh, where after Luke goes off to train with Yoda and his friends get kidnapped on Cloud City uh, where we introduce to the coolest guy in the galaxy, <laughs> Lando Calrissian, uh, Luke comes back to face Darth Vader and save his friends and it famously ends in a cliffhanger in which Darth Vader is revealed to be Luke Skywalker's father. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. No. No. It's not true. That's impossible. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. No! No! And Han Solo is frozen in carbonite, mm. not not known whether he'll ever return because they didn't know whether Harrison Ford would return. Yes. He didn't sign any contracts, so they they literally froze him just in case. Oh. <laughs> well, that's a good plot device, isn't it? Don't sign your actors. You can do whatever you want. That's because no one expected it. Like no one expected yeah. this to be so popular that they now the Marvel movies, they sign up for 10. 
Yeah. The Winter Soldier, Sebastian Stan, he's signed up for 10 movies. Wow. Well, I guess that also follows on from the idea that this is a, a serial, so the, the sci-fi episodic feel to it but in a movie format. And I don't think any other movie would do that. And even though this has established so many conventions that other movies have followed, they haven't done that one. They haven't ended a movie on a cliffhanger. People would be so angry. Well, and I would say that without The Empire Strikes Back, you do not get the end of Infinity War, which, of course, ends with half the population being swept away. And Kevin Feige, the producer of all the Marvel movies, has directly said that everything that Star Wars did in the 70s and the 80s is what they try and emulate to make it serialized. And now it's become... Like everyone wants to make their own universe now. Mm. Like they're trying to do it with the universal monsters and they're trying to do it with everything. <laughs> uh, but Star Wars is essentially what started it all. And capping off the original trilogy in 1983 was Return of the Jedi. It might be remembered most for introducing the world to Ewoks, but does it hold up in its own right? I believe this one is a very good follow-up to Empire Strikes Back because, you know, you can't get much lower in terms of the story. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, we, we want to see these heroes rise to the occasion, pun intended. Um, <laughs> Luke Skywalker leads a mission to rescue his friend Han Solo from the clutches of Jabba the Hutt while the Emperor seeks to destroy the Rebellion once and for all with a second Death Star. And throughout the entire journey, we're introduced to so many different characters. We've got Salacious Crumb, who's one of the minions of Jabba the Hutt, a very famous character. And it all leads to this head where there's a fight between Luke and his Darth father, Vader. Darth yes. Vader. And he eventually kills the Emperor. He, he eventually kills the Emperor. Yes, and the Emperor uh, was always hinted at in like The Empire Strikes Back, but he is the big bad, the, the one even above Darth Vader yes. in this film. You find out that the Emperor is the one pulling all the strings on the Empire. And, in fact, the Emperor is, seems to be a key part of the upcoming film as well. So he seems to be the puppet master. He's controlling Darth Vader. He's controlling the Empire. But... Yes, in a, in a beautiful twist of fate, Darth Vader decides to team up with his son mm. in the end and kill the Emperor, kill the Empire, which is now kind of, you know, torn apart and asunder and the Rebel Alliance have won and it's all happy and there's a party on the Ewok planet. It's all, it's all very, <laughs> very, uh, it wraps up in a very family-friendly way. The Ewoks are all celebrating with their little dance. <laughs> what if dreams came true and you could be who you wanted to be? You could do what you wanted to do, and you could help who you wanted to help. What if dreams came true, and the world opened up, and you were never, ever afraid? What if dreams came true, but dreams do come true, don't they? Now let's jump to 1999 and the start of the prequel trilogy. Now, the world has waited 16 years for more Star Wars, and the new trilogy is beginning to land. Are the prequels really as underwhelming as people say, or is the recent resurgence in love for them valid? I was a young teenager when this came out, so I remember watching them each probably just the once in my lifetime. So I have very <laughs> fond memories of them. Oh, So I don't remember not liking them at all. I, I I have various relationships with the prequels. So in 1999 when The Phantom Menace came out, I was nine years old. So I was smack bang in that market for Jar Jar Binks, who was the comic <laughs> relief. So I loved The Phantom Menace. I had, I had Phantom Menace bed sheets. I had the pod racing game on Nintendo 64. I was all in. And so whenever the prequels came out, it was like my best time of the year. As an adult that watches far more films now and you kind of understanding, you know, cinema language and convention, look, 
they're not great. But the the problem with them is, if there is one problem, is by this point, George Lucas and Lucasfilm had become such a huge powerhouse that no one said no to George Lucas. And I think what makes the original so great is that everyone said no to George Lucas and he had to compromise. So uh, if George Lucas got his way, Han Solo would have been a green-skinned lizard and, uh, and Luke Skywalker would have been a 50-year-old man. And so many people said no to him that it kind of, it, it, there was like a compromise right in the middle. And the prequels are purely George Lucas for better or for worse. So it is purely his vision, but maybe some no's would have helped yeah. because they would have said, hey, is a trade federation blockade as exciting as rescuing a princess? Arguably not. I remember I loved Queen Amidala um, and the outrageous outfits yeah. that they've got. If we all thought that Princess Leia's hair buns were like on the edge of fashion <laughs> uh, in the 70s, my goodness, they went overboard with her hair accessories and all her outfits. And I remember loving those and like for dress up parties and stuff. Yeah. would would go with like the white face, red lipstick and, and have a little outfit on. Yeah. Very geisha style almost. Yeah. And and the all of the world design in in all the prequels is always as ever like amazing. Star Wars is really really great at that. There are a couple of things the sequel gave us: some good, some bad. On the good side, you've got Ewan McGregor as the young Obi Wan Kenobi, and he Ewan McGregor grew up idolizing Alec Guinness, so this was like such a huge thing for him because he was going to be the young Alec Guinness, and he spent so much time on getting the voice right and the cadences right, and he is. The best part of the prequels, I think, by a mile. The young Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor, is great. Let's flip that coin on the other <laughs> side. Uh, the much maligned Hayden Christensen as Anakin. Uh, Darth Vader, the biggest, baddest guy in the galaxy. Some fans were left a little bit wanting with Hayden Christensen or young Jake Lloyd in The Phantom Menace. You know, Darth Vader was always Anakin Skywalker, the great Jedi Knight that fell and became the evil Darth Vader. And the interpretation of Anakin Skywalker through these movies is quite annoying. <laughs> like, for, for lack of a better word, he's kind of an entitled mm. rat. Mm. And I, I think that some people were left a little wanting with that explanation of how he became Darth Vader, you know? Like, it, it didn't feel satisfactory. Yeah, you could definitely have a much more nuanced character and <laughs> gotcha. in, in liking them and then making them evil, which is the best way to do it, rather than, oh, I don't care if he goes evil because he's yeah. annoying. He was like the boy next door in in many respects. I felt and yeah, and it very like it's almost like he wanted to be kind of James Dean, I guess, like very pensive mm-hmm. and very like, oh, you don't understand me. And yeah. but uh, it 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 just it didn't quite like they don't seem necessarily like the same character because you get this menacing force of Darth Vader and this you know late teens, early twenties guy. It doesn't seem like much of a threat to anything, even towards the end when he's supposed to be. And part of it's down to dialogue. He, you know, he has some pretty on-the-nose dialogue about, from my point of view, it is the Jedi who are evil. Actual line of dialogue from mm-hmm. that movie. Mm-hmm. I think I think the George Lucasness of it kind of brings it down. Brings it down. But in <laughs> this particular one, in The Phantom Menace, he is still a young boy. So it's not Hayden Christensen. Does he appear in this film? No, Hayden Christensen doesn't appear one. until the uh, Attack and of the Clones. Until the, Attack of the, Clones. the young boy version of Anakin is quite adorable. Jake Lloyd, yes. Uh, a tragic tale. He's, he's, <laughs> his life has been a tragic tale after Star Wars, as, to be fair, have many of the Star Wars actors, in fact. Yeah. Uh, apart from Harrison Ford, yeah. Carrie Fisher, and Ooh. Mark Hamill. Natalie uh, Portman. 
Natalie Portman, sure. And, uh, but a lot of the, let's say, fringe players of the Star Wars universe, yeah, it tends to destroy their career because that's all they're ever, ever seen as. And poor Jake Lloyd had a bit of a, bit of a time of it, apparently after The Phantom mm. Menace. So let's recap the prequels kind of as a whole because they do jump around in time a lot and there's a little bit of ground to cover. Mm. But, of course, we begin with the introduction of Anakin Skywalker as a young slave who is rescued by the Jedi and is trained by the Jedi. At the same time, we have a senator who is uh, essentially undermining the, uh, the Republic and trying to start his own dictatorship who would later become the emperor. But more or less the prequels are about Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker, the great tragedy that, that befell them, how Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader, how Obi-Wan Kenobi failed his apprentice and went off into hiding and went to protect Luke as we get in episode four. And w- what's important is at the end of these movies, we have set up the original trilogy. I feel like they could have done that in one film as well. If it yeah. was, <laughs> yeah. The whole Big point jump. the whole point of these three films is just to explain how Anakin became Darth Vader. Yeah. Essentially. Mm. And we needed three movies. Yes, yeah. Essentially it's it's similar almost to what Joker just did. Yeah. They took an average man yep. and they showed you how he devolved mm. into one of the greatest villains of all time. Mm. And I know p- people are mixed on that movie, but it did it in one movie pretty succinctly. Yeah. And this this took three, and it, it didn't yeah. necessarily need to. I guess it's the world of uh, the universe, as we were talking, of Star Wars that everybody loves. So if you've got one simple story and you can stretch out to three, like <laughs> The Hobbit, um, <laughs> you've got this world that's already there and everybody wants to see more of it. So they've just opened that up and explored more of it and different characters, which some may love or hate. Well, so much opportunity for merchandise, Fiery. Mm. Oh, yeah, because I remember they had this promotion of, I think it was Doritos packets, and there was like a scratchy thing on it, and you would buy the Doritos packets and you do a scratchy thing and it, you would win a free chip bag or, yeah, a movie ticket or something like that. I'd be and ha- they were on collectible cards for the characters. I'd be hard-pressed to think that there's no Star Wars merchandise out there of anything. I think there's you can get anything in a Star Wars brand. Except Baby Do you Yoda. remember those? Oh. <laughs> there are stories about what happened. It's true. All of it. I will finish what you started. I now bring you to 2015 and Star Wars has been sold to Disney and the world is thrilled. J.J. Abrams is about to kick off the sequel trilogy and he promises us that this will be like the Star Wars you remember. And to be fair, it was. The Force Awakens has been accused of being a beat for beat ripoff of A New Hope. But does it still work? I think for a new audience and for lovers of the original, you got what you came for with this film. Mm -hmm. Um, Except instead of Luke, we've got Rey and Rey is a female and it's basically the... Pretty much the same story that Luke faced. She she lives in, you know, a deserted pl- place with no parents. She's a scavenger. She's trying to make her way in this world of Star Wars. And she uh, she finds out that there is a, a First Order. So a rel- a, the Empire re-branded. A comparison. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. She bumps into some new colleagues, let's call them. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Finn. Yes. And we also Former have- Stormtrooper, Finn. Correct. He's going through his own journey and uh, BB-8. Yes. And of course, the roguish Han Solo that isn't Han Solo, Poe Dameron, the X-Wing pilot. 
Yeah, like Leia Organa is right back here. Um, she's general for like, of the for resistance. Like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the, she's the thing is, been we, resisting in this resistance oh, yeah, and, for this amount of time, and now gone from princess to general as well yes. in, in that interim. But it does seem like very much they they were saying this is this is these are your new Star Wars heroes. Mm. Essentially, you got Ray, Finn, uh, Poe, and BB-8. They're like the new crew. But the old crew are kind of peppered throughout. Yeah. Because it's nostalgia, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. <laughs> but I must I I can't believe that they pulled this off. Because there's so much anticipation around what to do. And oh. yeah, there are valid criticisms that sure, story structure wise, it is almost identical to the first Star Wars, but I understand why it needs to be. Uh like there's only seven stories. Yeah, exactly. So and you're, you're gonna you're recycle. Rebooting it for people that have never seen it, mm. for people that grow up with it, for people that are somewhat aware of it. And that formula works so well, and it is what kicked off the original series. So it does; it makes sense. Yeah, and I think it it, it feels like a good mash between the originals and the other ones. <laughs> you <laughs> and know. Also, we don't have Darth Vader this time. We have Kylo Ren, Ren. who is played by girl star uh, Adam Driver, and he is uh, actually the son of. Leia and Han Solo. So it's quite interesting that now he's been a part of this Jedi faith. Yeah, well, another fallen Jedi like Anakin Skywalker himself. So maybe the Jedis are to blame. Yeah, (laughs) and if we're talking about like Hayden Christensen, um, this is uber goth. Yes. Funnily enough, I feel that Adam Driver, it it works more in, in these ones only because it's kind of pointed out that he is quite a whiny, emotional unhinged character yeah, and people kind of, they're kind of like, oh, Kylo Ren is the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, with Hayden Christensen, it's taken as everyone's like, oh my God, what a beast, you know? (laughs) Well, I think maybe millennial culture has fed into that as well. Yeah, Um, for sure. So it it works now. Maybe Hayden Christensen's performance, if it had been done now, would be revolutionary. That could be very true. He was too ahead of his time, people. (laughs) So what is an interesting development in this? And I think quite a cool twist is uh, you've got your new crew, your Ray, your Finn, your BB-8, but the Obi-Wan Kenobi is Han Solo. Yes. He is the wise old sage that takes them on their journey. And much like Obi-Wan Kenobi, halfway through the film, meets his demise oh. at the hands of the main villain. Again, there are, there are parallels, aren't there, to the yeah. original. But it's funny because in the original film, Han Solo and Obi-Wan Kenobi are kind of at odds and Han Solo's always saying, whatever, you're a crazy old man, mm. talking about all the Force and whatnot. And then by the time he gets to The Force Awakens, he is that character now. But the big threat in The Force Awakens is Star Killer Base, which just to up the ante is 10 times bigger than the Death Star. Mm-hmm. But of course, our heroes, uh, the, the Rebellion, which is now called the Resistance, because everything's got to be rebranded, uh, they defeat Star Killer Base. And uh, Finn is, is injured and he's, he's, he's put into hospital. He's struck down by Kylo Ren. And Ray goes off to find the missing Luke Skywalker, which leads us beautifully into The Last Jedi, the divisive film, <laughs> The Last Jedi, directed by Ryan Johnson and released in 2017. Breathe. Now, reach out. What do you see? Light. Darkness. And something else. It's calling me. The film was a hit with critics but divided some of the, shall we say, traditional Star Wars fans. Is this film worth all the arguments? 
Of course. <laughs> I don't I don't get all the hype about how why it's bad or anything. It's always the the middle film, the middle mm-hmm. child mm-hmm. that um doesn't do as well maybe, but it, it, you two seem to like the the middle one of the originals. But in this one, Ray is developing her new abilities um, with Luke Skywalker. She goes to this island, which I think they filmed in Ireland, yes. um, with lots of puffins that they CGI'd porgs over. Yes. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that. I think that's cute. <laughs> and um, they have to prepare with the resistance to battle with the First Order. Yeah, so it's, I, I remember I saw this film with a midnight screening when it first released and I came out and I, I, to be honest, I thought, I don't know what I kind of thought of it. And I, I think that I liked it and then there was parts that I hated. I, I hated it. That's very strong. Well, only, only a handful of things, but not enough to say that I hated the film. Mm. There's a very odd scene where Princess Leia does a Mary Poppins oh, uh, from course. outer space into a ship, which is a yes, bit odd. But there's also a completely superfluous plot uh, based in a, like a casino planet yeah. that bolsters the film for about 30 minutes that it doesn't need, essentially. Mm. However, there's... Uh, like some epic battles. Uh, there's like a, an epic throne room scene. You've got mm. Supreme Leader Snoke, who for all intents and purposes was the new emperor. And it has some really amazing stuff. But I, I actually only realized the other week that I'd never, it's the only Star Wars film that I've never rewatched. So I, I still, mm. I wasn't sure what I liked. So I rewatched it the other day. I got my final judgment. Ooh. It's pretty good. <laughs> that's, that's my final judgment. I don't love it as much as I like The Force Awakens, but I also don't get the, there's like, visceral hate online for this movie mm. from certain sections of the internet. And that I don't quite understand. I think it's probably because, as you've said, The Force Awakens is a parallel to A New Hope. This is a parallel, The Last Jedi, to Empire Strikes Back. And as we've said, it's the best. So I think mm-hmm. people expect a certain essence from that yeah. film. And there is mm. that, but it just doesn't do it as well. So you think that maybe because it's paralleling the, the best Star Wars yes. film, then it being just okay is seen as kind of like it didn't it didn't match up. Yeah, like, yeah I think it like could be that. I think for me, like certainly the ending is something that I struggled with except, oh yes, because um, obviously Luke and uh, Kylo Ren have a face-off, but Actually, Luke is not there in face. Yeah, yeah. He is a hologram of himself. And this is a very astral projection. Yeah, I was going to say astral projection. Yeah. Thank you. But like, I feel that that's never been explained or put in a Star Wars yeah, film before. So al- it was hard for us to accept that. There's always been force ghosts uh, mm. to come back. But yeah, you're right. This was a whole uh, new thing that appeared to even kill Luke Skywalker. Yes. In the film. He disappears, becomes one with the force. Uh, and I know there was some controversy around Ryan Johnson essentially wanted to do the opposite to what everyone expected. Uh, and there is some validity in that, I think, as a filmmaker to go against what people expect. But I think that maybe it was so contrarian to a point of almost annoyance to people that had invested in it, I suppose. Mm. Uh, people like, oh, who is Ray? Oh, she's no one. <laughs> oh, who is Snoke? <laughs> Don't worry, he's dead. He's yeah, dead. There's, yeah, there's, yeah. there's some things like that where, I, yeah, I, I see that uh, it's, it seems like because the originals George Lucas had that vision. Mm-hmm. And this one seems like there's one filmmaker who passes it to another filmmaker and the other filmmaker goes, nah, I'll do some of that. Yeah. And passes it to another filmmaker goes, actually, let's redo that. So many threads have been cut. Yes, mm. yeah. That's a that's a great way to put it. It mm. seems like some threads were cut. I like the return to practical effects in this one. Um, you get more of the like puppeteering um, characters that you know from the originals and episode one, two, and three were like highly CG'd as well. Including so they CGI'd Yoda. One of the most famous puppets of film history. But in yeah. Last Jedi, he's a puppet again. Yeah, so that brought back that nostalgia from the original films as well, which I think really helped ground the film. And, of course, at the end of The Last Jedi, 
the resistance are almost completely deteriorated now. Mm. There's only a handful of them left. And the First Order seem more powerful than ever. And Luke Skywalker is no longer with us. He's become one with the Force, which sets us up for the rise of Skywalker. How is it all going to happen? How are the Resistance possibly going to bounce back from this? Are the First Order going to crush everyone? Is Kylo Ren going to turn good? It's been hinted at through the series, but he's never committed to it. Maybe it'll finally happen. We'll find out tomorrow or tonight at midnight if you're that keen. And before this film releases, just a sentence each, what are our predictions for Rise of Skywalker? Well, I hope Kylo Ren doesn't turn good because that's been done. So you think that's too Darth Vader-y? Yeah. Yeah, okay. What are Maybe you he sacrifices himself or something. That would kind of be going good, but also. Yeah. No, that's what Darth Vader did. <laughs> nah. <laughs> well, considering our first three heroes from the original trilogy, two of them have died in the series, but only one of them has died in real life and she's the one left in the series, I feel that she should die. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a outlook. I know. Yeah, but, I agree. <laughs> but there is always a light at the end of the tunnel, guys, and I feel that light will be a lightsaber through the heart of the emperor. So I have a pretty crazy theory. I'm only. I, I feel safe on this podcast. So I'm going to state it because I don't. There's a high chance this won't happen. Okay, I like it though. So there's been a quote uh, of J.J. Abrams, who you know is directing this again as he did The Force Awakens where he said they had a pretty unconventional story idea that they weren't sure whether people were going to go with. And then his quote was, then we thought, F it, we're just going to do it. And this is my theory. I think the Emperor comes back, there's going to be some form, be it's a Star Wars-y form of time travel. That's my crazy prediction for Rise of Skywalker. Now, high chance that it won't happen, but on the off chance that it does, Come back to this episode because <laughs> I called it. <laughs> but that's my crazy prediction for Rise of Skywalker. Also still in cinemas, playing with fire. John Cena in a family comedy. Black Christmas. Horror slasher from Blumhouse. Playmobil the movie. Tiny little figures go on an adventure. <laughs> and the Queen's Corgi. About the Queen's Corgi. <laughs> that was pretty self-explaining. It's, like, it's like snakes on a plane. You know what you're getting. <laughs> yes, you can hear about all of those movies and, in fact, everything that's in cinemas right now in our back catalogue, which you can access from whichever podcast app you'd like. Now, for your chance to win a gold-class double pass, simply head to the Village Cinema's Facebook or Instagram page, look for the Cinema Crew post, and answer the question. We want to know what you think is the best Star Wars film of all time. Did I hear correctly, Vari, by the way, that you really like Solo? Yes. Why? That's an unpopular opinion. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's a bit of a whoops. But I want to see. I want to see some like represent. I want to see like Star Wars holiday special in the comments. Oh, I want to no. see some obscure Star Wars stuff. Yes. Yeah, simply leave your comment with the hashtag the Cinema Crew for your chance to win. Next week it is the Christmas week and all the big Boxing Day releases are out. We go back into the game for Jumanji: The Next Level, Nightmare Fuel in the live action adaptions of Cats, and what if Taika Waititi played Hitler in Jojo Rabbit. Until next time, thank you, Vari. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. My name is Cambo, and this is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.